So uh, we are we are Red Card Gambling Support Project um, in association with Pro Performance UK. So what we're going to be doing uh, over the next few months is delivering podcasts, educational pop- podcasts, all related around gambling harms, uh, various different topics around gambling harms, and just to get people's input and, and to see what we can do in terms of educating people and raising awareness uh, for uh, problem gambling and gambling harms. So today we'll touch upon two or three topics. Uh, we'll have an update for Red Card in terms of where we are today, uh, what plans we've got going forward. Um, yeah, and everyone could just have an input. So uh, we'll, I think we'll start off with uh, introductions because although us four don't know us each other, three of us do. So we'll start with introductions and we'll start, uh, Harry, if you can just introduce yourself first. Um, so yeah, my name is Harry. Uh, I'm 26. Um, I'm the director of two companies working within the sport industry, uh, not-for-profit company um, and a limited company working predominantly in youth sport. Um, I have or suffered or had problems with gambling um, over the last few years, um, starting from when I was at university and just starting off as it being a little bit of fun um, when I was at university and then getting more and more involved and um, probably became a bit of an issue for me when I when I had quite a decent win at one point, won a substantial amount of money and then obviously thought that I was going to be able to continue to do that, started to lose, took out loans um, and borrowed money and things like that and got myself into quite serious debt for somebody of my age. Um, so yeah, I've just been on my recovery journey and have recently um, started to uh, work with Tony at Red Card. And yeah, just looking forward to trying to turn what's been a negative for me into a positive by helping educate young people on on the dangers that, that, that can be there with gambling. Thanks, Harry. Over to you, Ben. I'm Ben, I'm part of the Red Card team. So uh, similar to Harry, I started gambling when I was at university, um, sports betting mainly, and... It, I just never stopped until I was uh, until I was around thirty years old, and and as I left uni and, and entered the world of work, and I earned more money. It just got worse and worse and worse to the point where I was in crippling uh, financial debt, and um, felt like I had no option but to um, commit crime to fund my gambling because it was that had that stronger pull over me. But I just started to to steal money to gamble with. Um, but I haven't gambled now in three years and I, and I work within the industry um, helping people to end to recovery and, and start treatment programs. So that's uh, that's me. Thanks, Ben. So uh, Terry, obviously myself and you have met him many times, did a little bit of work together. So uh, obviously Harry and Ben have met you before. Yeah. Okay, so um, I was over five and a half years gamble-free. Um, I turned my life around. Um, I'd reached the rock bottom. Um, the three rock bottoms, basically, I should have gone to jail 22 years ago. I was a psychiatric nurse and I stole money from a patient. Um, I, um, Within the last 11 years, I've been on the streets twice and um, attempted suicide twice. But um, five and a half years ago, I managed to turn things around fully. And it's now my mission in life to stop people going through what I went through and put other people through. So I'm now uh, started a, a self-help group in the Northwest uh, based around Preston called Gambling Harms Northwest Alliance. And um, so I've done quite a bit of work with various groups up and down the country, including obviously Red Card. And um, I focus on the um, uh, recovery side and the uh, treatment side, um, but also in the education side. I've developed recently um, what I describe as the Idiot's Guide to the Gambling Addiction Spectrum, uh, just to make it easier for people who don't understand it to get a clearer picture. But we've also developed a clear care pathway for both the gambler and the affected other. So, um, so yeah, that's me in a, a brief few words. Thanks for that, Terry. I think that's it's really important, and that's another reason why I wanted to get you on. Because as you as you're probably aware by now, you know we've we've built our model on lived experience. So the whole of the red card team, in terms of the facilitators and one or two other members, 
uh, come from a lived experience um, background. So I think, you know, it's really brave of you and honest of you to share your story with us and those that are listening. Uh, and I think in terms of what you do, Terry, uh, that, that's, that's an important aspect of the whole gambling addiction journey because, you know, it's only today I was just saying to Harry that <laughs> I don't usually go on Twitter a lot, but I found myself on there today and, it's, and it can get a little bit toxic. Um, and one of the things that was being discussed was uh, self-regulation and how self-regulation is, uh, well, the system that's in place is flawed in terms of bookmakers and, and online self-exclusion uh, in terms of GAMSTOP, et cetera. So, uh, you know, that recovery pathway, that sustainability of recovery. Um, let me just ask you a question, Terry. Sure. About, about that, yeah? Yeah. Um, so would you say that in terms of, you know, self-exclusion, in terms of those that are suffering gambling harms, those that have, you know, problems with gambling, that want to stop, yeah, um, that, that want to change their life, that want to move on, uh, do they have their own personal responsibility to, you know, put those self-exclusion and self-regulation uh, self tools in place? Well, they, they, they do. Um, um, I basically, you know, um, because I also uh, have run Preston Gamblers Anonymous for the last five years as well. Mm -hmm. So when I get people as a first point of contact, mm -hmm. I will always ask them three questions. The first one being, do you think you've got a problem? Because um, quite often they will be attending to appease partners, family, whoever. Yeah. Um, the second thing I ask them is, do you think do you think that this gambling disorder has got you beat? And then the third thing I ask them, which is the most important question, is, are you are you prepared to work at your recovery? Because um, I had a friend who genuinely said to me once one day, um, the only thing that's going to stop me is if they bring a pill out that will stop me gambling. And I said, well, let me know when that comes out because we'll go into business and we'll make a fortune. Yeah. Because the, the, the only way that I know of stopping is by, you know, the only person who's, who's going to stop Terry from gambling is Terry. Yeah. yeah. You know, so what we do is we give them the tool, we help them to start their recovery. But at the end of the day, the thing that I've discovered um, is that everybody's in, uh, recovery is individual to them. And they've got to find out what works for them. And um, a lot of cases, you know, it's a complex illness. And so yeah. consequently, yeah. you know, there's, there's, there's lots of people, you know, what what works for me might not work for you, um, what might work for Harry, et cetera. So it's a case of educating people, yeah. giving them the tools and letting them find out what works for them. And in some cases, you know, they, they haven't got the... Uh, capacity to turn things around immediately but at least they know you know where to go when they, when they are ready if you like and when the penny yeah comes. yeah I think you're right there in terms of recovery recovery is different for, for everybody um you know my recovery was caught you know probably three or four different aspects whether it was family support whether it was counseling um you know putting, putting myself exclusion um tools in place self regulation tools in place so lots of different ways our people recover um, but I just I just think that you know if someone's if someone self excluded themselves from let's say from the online gambling sites or from uh, land based bookmakers and then they you know decide after a couple of weeks you know I, I, I want to start gambling again you know surely that 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 individual like you just said the only person that can really change uh, is the individual so if they if they're gonna you know self exclude and then two weeks later want to start gambling you know they're, 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 either, they're either not ready or there could be other mitigation circumstances in terms of what's going on in their life yeah I think it's about the individual being ready and I think when I first kind of um, came clean to my mum right at the start that I was having some issues mm. um, I, I self excluded myself from all online bookmakers but I think more than anything I was actually like just doing it to show my mum that I'd done it so that she believe, would believe that I wasn't going to be gambling, right. even though I didn't know, because I continue to gamble by using one of my friend's accounts. Uh, right. So on that, on, okay, Harry, that, that's, that's, a, that's a good point. That's what I was getting at. So, so on that point, yeah, you continue to gamble. You've done it like, like Terry mentioned earlier, you know, to appease 
you know, the fact that you continue to gamble, you have to take some responsibility for that. The yeah, hundred percent. Continue to gamble, even though you're selfish. Yeah, yeah. Okay, because that's that's where there's a lot of debate out there where people are just, um, you know, lambasting the operators, the, the tactics, all that kind of stuff. Which we know, you know, what the operators do out there. We know what the the systems that are out there are in place, and some of them flawed. So yeah, we get that. We know, we know the contributing factors, but you know, there has to be, in my opinion, anyway, and as as you've just saw mentioned, some you know, responsibility from the individual gambler. Yeah, I think def- I think definitely it's important to to highlight that. But I think also, you know, as we say, it is a complex illness, and I think you don't want to put yeah. too much pressure on each individual because everyone's journey is different. And you know, for me yeah. at that point. For me at that point, I, I self-excluded, but I probably wasn't ready, ready or wasn't fully understanding of what my addiction was. Whereas now, I, I understand the reasons why I gambled. And because I understand why I was gambling, now I don't feel like I'm as likely to, to ever go back because I understand the reasons. Whereas that point, mm. it was just like, right, if I say that I've self-excluded, then, then my mum will believe that I'm not doing it. Yeah. Even even though at the point when I suffered through that probably wasn't what what I was trying to do. I wasn't lying, but I wasn't fully, you know, I hadn't fully come to to terms with actually that it was it was a serious problem. Maybe. Yeah. Mm. Ben, do you get many people within your line of work in the industry that that have self excluded that you know are you know continue to gamble etc. Yeah, all the time. I mean, most people. I think a lot of people recover in a cycle of. Um, when they first come into recovery, put GAMSOP in place, put GAMBAN in place, and it will be fine. Um, mm. But what they find is that, um, you know, sometimes that, that it might and it might be after six months when the exclusion's ended, or sometimes it might be after a couple of months. Yeah, having having those blocks in place is not enough. It's it, it slows you down. It's a barrier. But what happens then is, um, you know, you, you you can always find a way around it. So yeah, that was yeah, which is why we always say it's so important to not just focus on one thing, one aspect, one block. It's about putting lots of little things in place um, to help with your recovery. And, and these practical things that self-exclude you, they're, they're really useful at slowing you down mm. to thinking, right, if I need to gamble, I can't just go on, log in and place a bet. I need to find a different account or I need to find a way around it. And the thinking is, is that in that time that it takes you to, to find that workaround so you come to your senses and use your support network whether it's GA or your family or counselling whatever it is to yeah. to kind of take that personal responsibility um so yeah I think the biggest mistake a lot of people make is relying on those practical blockers um and thinking that'll be all they need yeah and just just on that back of that sorry to on the back of that oh, yeah. you know we we, we know we, we've all been there yeah, so we know what it feels like to, to have a problem with gambling. We know what it feels like, the fact that it consumes you on a daily basis. So, you know, when, when yeah, gamblers will find a way. <clears throat> you just mentioned about GamStop and Gamban. You know, I've, I've done a lot of research in terms of GamStop and, and these self-exclusion services that are out there. And, you know, there are ways around the, these barriers. And, and if you're consumed by gambling and you're really not ready to change and you're really not ready to address it and stop then you will find a way to gamble so it's not it's not bulletproof that's what i'm trying to say mm. yeah well one of the things that if you like has evolved as as i've kind of developed the recovery package for people yeah. is that um as, as we were saying it, it's a complex issue and it's something inevitably that you've been doing for quite a while so you've got those um, addictive tendencies that are you know, going to come back, and when they do, you know, when the the craving for the dopamine hit, is yeah. that nothing's going to stop you, you know. Yeah. So, so uh, as as Ben just said before, basically those blocks and barriers are the first step to give you the thinking time. Now, if you, when you break down gambling into, you know, I, I describe it as the fire triangle, and you've got to break up the fire triangle. I call it the gambling cycle. So there's three aspects that need to happen for you to gamble. You need to have access to money. Yeah. You need to have access to some form of gambling establishment or site, and you need time. Time, yeah. 
Yeah. So, so the, the the two easiest to deal with, if you like, are access to money, and and you know, and Gamstop and Gamban that, that Ben just alluded to, as did Harry. You know, and that they are the ones to help give you the thinking time, as I call it, to think: Do I really want to do this? Give, in other words, giving the cognitive part of the brain the opportunity to say, "Common sense here, lads. Does this work out well for me?" Is it something I can afford to do? Is it something that will stand me in good stead moving forward? Yeah. Yeah. So, so you know, they are some of the first steps and they are something that they, they need to work along so that you can then, you know, the hardest part to deal with is the time. So in other words, and, and, and I call it the thinking time. So you're, it's the time when you're either thinking about planning, actually gambling, or inevitably, in our cases, covering up from, excuse my French, from the poo when you've finished gambling. Yes. So, so, so that's the that's the thing. The hardest part to deal with is the th- is the time aspect and the thinking about. And the hardest aspect that that I that we educate people about is finding something that's going to be strong enough to resist those urges when they come along, when the time you know when the time takes takes hold and so you know those barriers in place um you know we can all find ways around them and and if you want to gamble you'll find a way of gambling yeah whether it's taking it out in your mother's name or you know doing it in your mate's name or you know or going out of town if you've excluded yourself from the local bookies yeah. you know offshore accounts all that stuff yeah. offshore betting sites yeah so you know so so all you know we've, we've got to be realistic with people and say you know that's just a step to give you the thinking time it's not going to stop you and it's not going to be the be all and end all you know a lot of people when they put those blocks and and, and barriers in place and they go a month without gambling or whatever it goes and you know a lot of people today are what i call payday millionaires so in other words when the next income comes in and they're able to cope with that this is suddenly think oh that's it i'm cured now the money sorted itself out and you know and i've got these barriers in place but i i i, I stipulate to people the first time that you get some form of trauma and that's where the counseling comes in yeah. That is when you will need to know what to do with the time and and the you know the 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 thinking process and how to you know work through that. Yeah, I think that's a that's a key word there, trauma, in terms of there will be things with, with people out there that you know self-excluded or think they're in a place where they want to be, but then something comes along uh, that triggers, you know, that that behavioral pattern again and want to want to start gambling. So yeah. Yeah, there's lots of different reasons why that can happen. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, one of the things I say Tony, to people quite often is is that to go back to those practical tools, is they they stop you gambling, but what they don't do is is necessarily treat the reason why you were gambling in the first place. And most of us yeah. have those reasons, whether it's mm. uh, financial pressure or um, trauma or when we have a bad day. Um, so that's why it's really important to get other support that addresses the reason you're gambling yeah. in that first place. Yeah, and I think definitely. And I think the important thing is, you know, everyone everyone's journey is different, um, and everyone's reasons for gambling is different. And you know, obviously talking about self exclusion, but also there's a lot in the press as well about um, you know adverts on, on TV and at football games. And I think you know, for me, when I watch a football game and there's an advert, that's not a trigger to me personally because it's not really the reason why I was was doing it. You know, f- for me. For me, more of a trigger is if I've got a night out coming up on a weekend and I haven't got quite enough money to, to do what I want to do, then I think, oh, should I have a bet to try and earn some more money? You know, that's that's what my trigger was and still is. Um, so, yeah, I think it's just about re- realising that everyone's journey is different in terms of what actually is going to, you know, trigger them. or are slightly older. So we remember b- before mobile phones come in, for example, and, yeah. and, and today's technology. So... So now it's saturated. It's wherever you look, and it, it, yeah. it's upon you, and it's normalised. Yeah. And so consequently, you know, it, it, you can't say, you know, move yourself away from it because yeah. it's always in your face. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's about you know, you look at what I, 
you know, we describe as a, a typical uh, problem gambler, starts off they will have been introduced to it in their childhood, you know, for formative years, five to ten. Then during their teenage years, they will have had some form of a win. And as you've just described, Harry, so they see it as a way of making money. So therefore, when they then, you know, start work and start earning or whatever, or getting grants if they're at uni and that sort of thing, and they're short of money, they think, well, how can I get money? What's the way that I know how to get money? Oh, yes. I, you know, and when you're a teenager, you know, you, you gamble without consequence. So what's the worst thing that can happen to you when you're a teenager? You might lose your dinner money. You know, you might lose some of your pocket money, whatever. And then what do you do? You learn the ways to go to, who, you know, who do I get it off me, mum? Oh, yeah, I've lost it, mum. You know, blah, 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 sob story, get it back. So there's no consequence. And so when they then, you know, move into adult life and um, real life hits them and they've got to find that, you know, budgeting needs to be accounted for. And, um, you know, uh, gambling is, um, you know, is, is a false economy, but people see it as a way to making money. Exactly, yeah, without a doubt. If I turn this 50 quid into 100 quid, you know, I'm sorted. Yeah. You know, and the bottom line is, is uh, even if you turn it into 500 quid, when you reach the hard stage of gambling, you don't end up with, you don't come out of the bookies with 500 quid or you don't come off line with 500 quid. So, yeah. and that's where it shows that you've got, you have got, you've a, got problem. a problem. Yeah. I think that was an interesting point, though, Harry, about what triggers you in terms of, you know, wanting to get money to go out with mates or whatever. And it's different for everyone because there are people out there that where the advertising does trigger uh, and has and has an impact on their on their thinking and their behaviour uh, because that's what you know that's what started them gambling. Um, yeah, no, hundred percent. I think it's just yeah. I think one of the things that you you can take out from it is it is all about education and awareness um to, to, to those triggers and things because you know when I first started it or when I first or when I had a problem for a long time I wouldn't have really realized that I needed to look so deep into it to work out why I was doing it um, mm. and until I realized why and started to deal with that part of it rather than actually treating the, the, the actual gambling side of it it was the thing that probably broke broke it for me and, and made, made, made it to a point where I actually was able to to recover and, and and get to the place that I am now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the advertising thing, as you said, Terry, we, we're saturated with adverts now, airways, TV, press, social media, absolutely everywhere. Um, it's crazy. And I think one of the interesting things that have come out recently is, you know, those in the gambling industry are saying that they've done research and there's no link between the adverts and, and the amount and an increase in people gambling. So then people are saying, well, why are you paying all of this money for these adverts? If you're telling us that it actually has no effect, that doesn't, that doesn't ring true. Does it no, They obviously no. are paying for these adverts because they know it is going to encourage people to do it. Otherwise they wouldn't be paying to put the adverts on. Exactly. And and think, you only got to look at the amount of money that's spent, you know, by by gambling companies on advertising. I think one point four billion, whatever it is, it's just ridiculous amounts of money that is spent specifically on on gambling advertising, and they're doing that for a reason. And then yeah, you've got I the that's, that's the thing that's frustrating people is, you know, when when you're trying to have reform and you're trying to change things, and you've got reports from other people in the gambling industry that are saying, well, why should we stop the adverts? It has no effect, and it's like, well, that's how stupid do you think we are? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. No, it's, 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 you see, the thing, the thing, I, the, the thing that I, um, you know, I've been thinking uh, quite a lot about this recently. Mm. And the thing that, uh, if you like, that stands out for me is that you know you've just you've just said there that the industry, their research suggests. Now, their research is you know is a you know it, it, it's it's the old it's the old adage. There's statistics, statistics, and damn lies. And the bottom line is, is that the first uh, mental health issue that happens to a, a compulsive gambler is that they become compulsive gamblers. They internalize everything, and they won't, you know, tell you the truth about their gambling. Even, even after you've stopped, I find myself four or five years later where people ask me about something, and if they just can't catch me off the you know, on the hoof, I'll lie because that's a natural trait. 
to the to the problem gambler. And the other thing is is that because the uh, problem gambler always needs to be in control. So when you're trying to help them, so in other words, instead of internalizing everything, you want them to be open and honest about everything. Yeah. It, it's, a, it's a totally, you know, it, it's totally um, new to them and difficult to maintain. And, but the, and that's where the support around them needs to be educated, no longer where the you know, I describe the, 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 the people who are being affected by the problem gamblers they're like the dog being um, wagged by the tail and they're always one step behind the gambler so that is why you can always manipulate the people who are close to you and they become enhancers to your gambling addiction yeah yeah and so what what what, what i've discovered is is that they need to be educated where they're one step ahead of you if they're going to be in a position to support you so that they're not waiting to deal with what you do. They're there to say, hang on a minute, I can see you go, these are the traits that I can yeah. see you mm. coming back to it. So yeah. that is why it's important. I've noticed that if somebody, you know, I run two groups, the Gamblers Anonymous and for the affected others. And if somebody has got a member in the affected others group, they've actually got a 66% higher chance of sustainable recovery than the person who's doing it on their own. Yeah, that makes, makes sense. The people in the affected uh, area group, you know, I go into that group and you you look at Gammonon, for example, and they won't allow uh, problem gamblers in their group. You know, it's not the done thing. And I think, well, that just contradicts what you what's needed. So they need to know what's and all what you're going to do or what you've got the capacity to do and the tricks that you do so that you will and you know even if you've got the barriers in place you will as as harry said you will find a way to gamble yeah and so that is why it, it's important quite often the strength of the people around you yeah and the education of those to help you maintain the sustainability of your recovery yeah. Because, because the, the gambler's instinct, once the addictive part of the brain has been stimulated, is, I call, that, I call it the, oh, sonic mode. In other words, you know, I've, something's happened. My, I'm going back to my old coping strategy, which is to go and gamble. And some people use it as escapism. Some people use it to make extra money if they're struggling. And that's why it is so complex. And then that's yeah. not just, you can't just have one thing. No, you've no. got to have all three. And, and that's, that is why once you've got the sustainable blocks and barriers in place, that it's only at that point that the counselling, I believe, becomes useful because you're more likely to be receptive to it. Yeah. Because, yeah, yeah, because you've... you've like, and Ben yeah. said, yeah. to look in a... Yo, why why do we do it in the first place? Yeah. What are going to be the triggers that are going to send us back to it? And the third and most important thing is to adopt the CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, to make the cognitive part of the brain stronger than the addictive part of the brain to resist the urge when it comes along. Yeah. Most and the most important bit about all that is that first step that actually acknowledging you've got a problem. Yes. Yeah, that's that's the really most important thing. In terms of uh, going back to the advertising, I think um you probably noticed one thing i've noticed over the last probably yeah six months to a year is um because we talk about target advertising and what i've noticed which i didn't really you know there's someone pointed out to me um because i was work, obviously working on this preventing gambling harms and diverse communities project and uh then i started to sort of look properly and yeah look, what's happened over the last 12 months or so is that a lot of the gambling advertising you started to see a, a diverse group of people and lots of people from the black and Asian community on your screens now, you know, whereas 12, you know, 12 months ago, 24 months ago, that wasn't the case. So now it's all about this target marketing from, from, um, from the gambling operators where they, you know, they're aware of the areas of deprivation in the UK. You know, I live in Enfield. I think we're the 64th um, borough in the UK, the prime most pride area in the UK. And this happens all over different cities, whether it's Liverpool, whether it's Birmingham, Leicester, where there's a lot of deprivation and a lot of populations from the black and Asian community. And 
you know, operators know this, operators see this, and it's just it's just disgusting the way they operate in terms of target marketing, tar target a certain population of people. So any, any um, other views about, you know, people are calling for banning on advertising completely. Um, personally, I don't, I don't think we should be going that far in terms of banning gambling advertising per se. I don't know what anyone's views is on that. You know, I, I suppose what I would say, in my, in my opinion, because I've talked to various stakeholders about gambling advertising, um, and that what I would like to see is the, is the imagery and content of gambling advertising changed. Um, so we all see it. We we all see how it's portrayed on the screen, whether it's a group of girls or a group of guys around the casino, and they're happy and they're winning. So this, this perception that gambling's you know fun and you win all the time and it's all rosy. They're not, they're not showing the darker side of gambling. So you know I think if there was better language, better content and imagery shown, then that would balance. Uh, the gambling advertising. That, that's where I come from. I don't know what anyone else thinks. Yeah, I think it's it's an, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Um, in terms of if 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 they would be able to ban it completely. I suppose when you look at stuff like um, smoking and stuff, obviously they had. Uh, I think they've got there was a there's you can't advertise smoking and things like that, can you? So is that is it any different really? It, you know, it's, it's something which people can get addicted to and are getting addicted to. Yeah. So, yeah, I think... Yeah. That's interesting, yeah, the tobacco one. industry, yeah, did manage to get, you know, yeah, advertising banned. But the one thing that I would say about the tobacco industry, you know, with the advertising is that at least they actually did uh, provide content and imagery in terms of how dangerous smoking is. Um, yeah. That's not the case with gambling advertising. Yeah, I think that's the model that they used in in Australia, didn't they? Where you know Australia is the um, was was the worst gambling per capita yeah. uh, country in the world, yeah. and they used the the smoking model, but they also used the the most um, if you like effective uh, tool in advertising, and that is getting children to. Yeah, I've seen one of those. Yeah, and 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 so when it reaches you know the children, then people take notice. Yeah, and and, and you know and and it becomes effective if it if it's just the normal people, if you like, in the street, mm -hmm. they just say you know mugs are soon quite with the money, leave it with them. You know they don't take notice. Exactly. But when it's affecting children, and children you know children are seen to suffer. Mm. And then you know, then that has a major effect, and that is why you know in in Australia now there's no uh, advertising or sponsorship in sport. Yeah, you know, and mm. I know we're moving towards that, but very slowly. Slowly, yeah. yeah. That's what I think that's a great point, uh, Ted, because I saw I saw one of those videos with the, with the children actually involved in in the advertising campaigns, and yeah. like you say, it, hit, it hits home hard. Uh, because we are talking about young people that are being impacted by gambling, not just themselves, but obviously the families. So I think, yeah, it might yeah. be, it might, it might be a way that you know the UK might, the ASA and all the rest on the DCMS and all of them, because it's going to be, it's going to be a collective, you know, working. So we'll see if that develops over the next few months. Because I know that yeah, they're addressing think... gambling, advertising. What's that, Harry? Another addressing gambling advertising um, within the, you know, gambling app review. Um, you know, we're all awaiting a white paper in the next few months. So what changes are made to gamble advertising? We have to wait and see. Yeah. Yeah. Go on, Harry. I think, yeah, I think something obviously I think something definitely has to change and there definitely is too much. You know, you know, you've seen the reports out recently, I think it was one of the, the recent FA Cup games and how many times gambling adverts came up at the screen throughout the, the time that the game on and it's something something crazy but also you know I'll be listening to talk sport and they'll be doing an interview with with somebody who's suffered gambling issues or is highlighting change or yeah. stuff like that and then as soon as they finish the talk it goes to an advert about gambling it's like that's a bit surely that's you know it's it's, it's contradiction. Con contradiction like how yeah. can you how can you have somebody on who's trying to educate and then what if that person then hears the advert straight after they're on and, and goes back to it because of that? So, yeah, yeah. I think that something's definitely got to change, but it's just working out how tough yeah. and serious they can go with it, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah, obviously, obviously, there's a lot of men involved. Um, I think one, one second, Terry, one, yeah. one thing which is really um, 
in pause with John Hope, which I think, you know, there's campaigns out there. We, we know, you know, some of the advocates that are out there campaigning about sports advertising and gambling advertising and football. And I think one of that's, that's an area that I do believe uh, seriously needs change. You know, we talk about the stadia betting. We talk about we talk about perimeter fencing advertising. We talk about the sponsorship with the football clubs, the shirt sponsorships. So there's a lot there's a lot going on within professional football uh, and gambling advertising. And I think that's an area where you know the the operators they're fully aware of. You know the, the thousands or millions of young people, young children that are into football, that go to football matches, that um, are talking about their heroes and their role models, etc. So I think that's an area that. I think there will be some change, um, and hopefully there will be. I think also it's it's about the the tactics they use to mm. advertise, which may not just be the adverts, but you know the emails that come into your email box with free bets and, and things like that. And you know, there's lots of stories of people who had severe gambling addictions and were losing yeah. fortunes on their accounts, and that, that had even gone mm. through GamStop and were still getting emails from from online bookmakers about deals and about free bets and. And stuff like that and i think those are the kind of tactics that probably need to be looked into again because again again similar to like the adverts you know people in the gambling industry have said well the free bets don't actually have much effect on, on people continuing to gamble or as much effect as people think but again it's the same with the adverts why are you giving people these free bets if it's not going to actually help it's not going to be something that that gets them back to gambling that's the reason they're doing it is to get them hooked again you know yeah they talk about robust license conditions, uh, intervention, whatever, whatever it is. That in terms of the practices of the operators, that is something that really needs looking at. I know it's going to be it's, it's a big topic of the consultations that, that have uh, finished. But yeah, yeah, they, they have a lot to answer for. So yeah, as I said, we, it's only a matter of time. We can wait and see what that white paper looks like and what robust changes, if any, within the industry, within how the operators operate. Uh, we'll see. Yeah, you was going to say, tell. The reason it's been able to um, develop to this uh, level of capacity is obviously uh, government gets so much money from the industry yeah. that uh, they're going to be very slow at, uh, at introducing what I call uh, um, uh, appropriate, um, uh, you know, c uh, controls, mm -hmm. and, and so and so consequently they've been allowed to. You know, uh, you, they've got a multi-pound industry. If you put if you put any if you put any blocks on them or try and make it difficult for them, they they'll just employ the appropriate uh, solicitors and uh, barristers to work ways around it, so that they've got you know they can carry on as, on a technicality. But mm. we we we, go, we look to we look at ourselves and we say, well, you know, not only are the government have been slow in looking you know, dealing with the industry. <coughs> But it's only um, in the last um, three and a half, four years that budgeting skills have been introduced into the schools. And it's only last September that gambling harm uh, education has been has been introduced into the school curriculum. Yeah. I've, I've, got, um, I've got relatives who are teachers and they have no idea whatsoever how to educate the kids about the gambling mm. And so, you know, getting into the schools, getting it appropriate, and you know, and being accepted, if you like, in in within that, um, you know, they're the they're the gamblers of tomorrow, yeah, you know, and, and and they're the target market. They can still see all the advertising, yeah. They're not being given the support they need at school. You know that budgeting, you know, needs to be important. So that you know, it's not a way. Gambling is not a way of making money or or you yeah, know, enhancing your life. Yeah, and um, and then to learn about the gambling harm. Is, you know, if you carry on gambling, you know, yeah. as as Ben said earlier, it will eventually lead to pathological gambling and criminality and you yeah. know, and petty crimes start off. You look at you know, you, I did some work with the Howard League last year. And that you know, the majority of people who go into prison for some form of monetary issues, you know, whether it be theft or whatever, fraud yeah. or whatever, there's been some form of gambling in it. Yeah, and there's been some you know, gambling is um, their way out of it, if you like, yeah. or yeah. as you see it as a as a way out. Yeah, and that's just a and that's a good example, Terry. There's lots of different examples about how gambling addiction uh, has, has an impact on an individual family's life. So, you know, we've been talking to the Homelessness Project this week and the same thing, 
you know, yep. some of these people have ended up homeless due to their gambling. So, you know, when you look at the bigger picture, there's so much um, different types of impact that are that are related to gambling harms. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting you mentioned about the schools. Uh, as you probably, we haven't caught up for a while, tell, but yeah, we've now gone past the 6,000 young people delivery, which is excellent okay. for us over the last four excellent. years. And we, and we, you know, we, we have a strong belief and passion about early intervention for young people. Because as you said, Terry, it, it, that, you know, we've got the next young generation coming up. Um, and if they're not educated on gambling harms, and as you said, when they leave school or when they go to uni, you know, because of what we've discussed already about the advertising and promotion, they're gonna, some are going to get drawn into gambling and some are going to end up <laughs> like us. So, so, yeah, early intervention is absolutely massive. Uh, yep. Yeah. And so, yeah, yeah may, think, long may that continue. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's, it's definitely an important point because I think, you know, when I first had my first bet at university, I don't think I really knew that you could get addicted to gambling. I didn't really know that was a thing, I don't think, even in this day and age it wasn't something that I'd ever like had, had spoken to me about or, or anything like that so for me at that point when I first done it and then when it started to get increased if I had have had some education maybe I would have started to realize the triggers that actually yeah this was becoming a problem and, and it would have probably meant that I could you know cut it out early because I was if I was educated on what, on what, on what those triggers are and, and starting to realize when it becomes a problem I think you know that's the most important thing that we yeah, do. definitely, Harry, because we've talked to lots of university students that, you know, the horror stories of blowing their student grant in one night or one week. <clears throat> and I think if in your in your case, Harry, if you if you had been educated about gambling harms, you know, 16, 17, 18, uh, then, yeah, you, you may you may have been in a position where at least you understand it. Uh, you know what the perils and the, and the pitfalls are. So, yeah, it could have made a difference without a doubt. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You see, the other thing, the other aspect of that, and um, this goes back to the government, if you like, yeah. is, that, is that, you know, you, you look at the the multi, multi-billion pound, um, you know, uh, companies, um, you know, that are, are, you know, apart from Bet365, because with all due respect, they do stay within the country and manage that. But, but basically, they they just find it a way it's a license to print money if, if they go and base themselves you know somewhere where there's no uh, tax um you know problems for them or anybody anybody controlling you know their output if you like of, yeah. of drawing people in then you know that they've got free escape you know it, it it's the same with you know starbucks not playing paying taxes in britain and stuff like that they'll yeah. find ways around it uh, to abuse it and um, you know it's a multi-billion pound interest you know you yeah. look back to when it started in America you know with the casinos and what have you the first thing that happened is the criminality that, we're, that Ben was talking about the mafia take over yeah. you know, and, 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 and you, you're then talking people's lives you know not just through their own yeah. um, stupid idiot you know idiosyncrasies of, of you know being addicted it's a case that you know you you touch the wrong people the wrong way, yeah. And um, you know you you're pressing the wrong buttons. Yeah, but that's interesting. You mentioned about the the, the tax savings uh, because you know I was reading some stuff today about about this, again back to the self exclusion where you know you, if someone's self excluded from Gamstock, for instance, and all that they they obviously the ways around it is by going uh, to sites that are not UK regulated and offshore yeah. sites. And that's you know there is an argument that people say that. You know, if there's robust um, changes put in place, uh, you know, in, in in the review for the operators that make it harder for people to gamble that, you know, I've heard this term so many times where people talk about going underground. Um, and, yeah, there's arguments for, for and against about whether gambling would go in, underground. But, yeah, it's just an interesting, interesting topic, really. I think the other interesting thing that I've seen this week, I'm not sure what your guys' opinion on it, but mm. is, is the NHS and the fact that they're going to stop taking money from the gambling yes. industry to fund their educate their um prevention or, or recovery stuff they do i don't know what what your thoughts are on on that did they did they stipulate why they why they've they've decided not to take money from the industry i'm not sure if they've i haven't, I haven't completely looked into it enough to see yes. that but i think it's along the lines of of trying to take control 
away from the gambling industry in terms of of how the money's spent. Maybe I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. I think they said that their um, their service users were asking questions about the funding, which I, I find hard to believe personally. I don't think when you're in treatment, I don't think you care whether. whether no, yeah, um, I agree. And also, I think you know, is it not shooting yourself in the foot really? Because is that mm-hmm. money not really important? <laughs> Uh, I don't well, know. It's, 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 Harry, as a member of the of the gambling advisory group, um, you know, a year ago, working nine months with the gambling commission advisory group, these, these are the, one of the topics that came up in terms of, you know, organisations or individuals taking money from the industry. Um, there's lots for and against, uh, lo- lots of debates about it. You know, you just mentioned again about the NHS, and and I've always had the the view that if Anybody, an organisation, whether it's NHS, whoever it is, that, that you know, sets money from the industry, whether it's through donation, whether it's funding, whatever it is, if that money is going to support the the, the gambling commission's new strategy of reducing gambling harm, 2020, then I, I cannot see what the problem is because you know, as, as long as that money isn't abused in any way, as long as that money is is transparent and clear and it's being used to educate for prevention, for treatment, whatever it's for, then, yeah, I've, I've never been one that has an issue of taking money from the industry if it's going to support, you know, what we all want, the end goals, which is basically to educate people and reduce gambling harms in the UK. So, I don't know well, what you think, Tom. Yeah, it's, um, I can see both sides. And you can go again, you can go again, you can go against this. No, I can say what you think. It's something I've thought about, and I know Matt Gaskell's obviously come come out this week and, and you know, uh, has indicated that's the way they're moving forward. Mm. And I can, I can see... Um, you know, just uh, obviously, I was part of the same group as you, Tony, and yeah, you you know some of the the if you like brick walls that we were hit that we were hitting, you know, yeah. and we no influence basically, had we? No. You know, um, but but the bottom line is is that uh, which what it's what we said before, it, it's that you know you the the moral aspect, um, it, it it becomes the chicken and the egg, you know, what came first, and you know, do you take them? Do you take money? You know, it's like it's like um, you know the NHS uh, alcohol units. Are they sponsored by you know Heineken or you know Bex uh, or or whoever? You know, yeah. uh, you know money's money for treatment at the end of the day. That yeah. our major problem is because of the state of the, um, if you like, um, lack of response with the NHS up until this point, is that. You know, that is why they estimate there's approximately 400,000 problem gamblers and only 12,500 sought help last year. Yeah. Well, because, you know, because it, you, you need to be focusing your, 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 the NHS needs to be focusing more about how do we uh, siphon it down to the, to the front, front line, if you like, to the face, call face. Mm. It's all right having, you know, putting 10, um, 10 specific gambling clinics, clinics yeah. around the country. If your GPs know know about it and where to send people, you know yeah. I, I've been educating GPs around the Preston area, and you know after I'd given a talk two weeks later, with with two people call me who, who attended that specific uh, uh, clinic, and had, had, been, had gone to the GP and they said no, we don't know what to do for you or it's where amazing. to send. Amazing, you know? yeah. and and so. You know, unless you educate the people on the, on the front face, yeah. So you know your A and E's and your your junior doctors and your you know the people who are coming in with suicidal ideation and it's yeah. gambling related. You know, you, you you go to your GP as a gambler because of your if you like the stigma of gambling, you're going to present with a, a depressive type illness. So they'll give you antidepressants and say, "Come back in two months and we'll see how yeah. you're doing." Yeah, you know, yeah. because they don't actually look actually look into why are you depressed. Do, you know, they, 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 you know, they will ask you. You know, do you drink? Do you take drugs? Mm. But they don't ask. Um, have you got any debt problems? Do you gamble? Yeah, mm. you know, and and so well, it, it, well you've got you've got the uh, north you've got your CCGs at where you are, Terry, and obviously yeah. in, every, in every city. We had a meeting with the local North London CCG recently, and it's exactly that. That was the yeah. exact thing we were discussing about. Yeah, the questions never asked about yep. you know are you gambling? So yeah, and that and, and and linking that to what we're just talking about with the with the funding, 
that's where funding can come in really, really useful in terms of education for those cohort of people. So, yeah, um, I, just, I, just, I just don't quite understand uh, those that are against industry funding. I know they'll have their, their reasons, but it doesn't quite add up in terms of, you know, funding is needed for all, all types of different things. As I said, whether it's prevention, whether it's uh, treatment, research, et cetera, you need funding. Um, I, I suppose, I suppose, yeah. you know, just to be devil's advocate also, you yes. know, you look at it from the other angle and you say, well, you know, we look at what's happened so far and and basically, yeah. you know, we were expecting it pretty much when we were with, working with the yeah. commission, you know, at the end of that. And they've been dragging their feet. And the other thing is, is, you know, major trauma like the uh, epidemic and the, you know, COVID and what have you. And, and then, you know, and then people being you know, uh, stuck at home, that's just going to exacerbate the problem and make people more, you know, more likely to turn to it as a, as a way out of it. And, you know, and, and the current situation where, you know, the cost of living, yeah. and, you know, food or food or heating is, mm-hmm. it becomes a choice instead of, you know, an option. Yeah. And, and, and so that I can see this is going to just make the situation even worse. And so I can understand that the NHS is saying, well, you know, if you leave it to the government, that's left, that's brought us to where we are today. You know, mm-hmm. why have they not been, why have they, you know, since 2005, not recognised the effects it's been having on the population? Yeah. You know, one, one in 15 people are affected by people with gambling disorders. Yeah. So, I think they've lost the trust in the government. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. so I can understand, you know, that's just giving the the opposite uh, angle if you like so yeah mm. yeah don't get me yeah. wrong i don't know who, what's the answer today yeah i think it's a combination of all and i think we need to you know the, the hardest part is getting all the right people around the round the table well that's the, what's and, and that's where the industry do need to be included in. yeah yeah and i've always said that i, I sort of say a lot on social media in terms of you know, everyone's got different views um, about, you know, different topics, regulation changes, all that stuff, with, you know, all the stuff we've talked about today. Uh, but I always say it has to be a, a real, real collective effort. And that, and that includes operators, that includes lived experience, that includes, you know, researchers, everybody, yeah. you know, the ASA, DCMSS, <laughs> everybody, everyone's, like you say, you've got, everyone's got to get together and work together because we're all at the same end goal, really. Yeah, yeah I think the, the, the main... Uh, players that are not at the table at the moment from my point of view are the finance industry mm. because they're the people who find out if you've got a gambling problem first yeah. Yeah. you know the banks the um credit unions you know mm. the full face those sort of people they see it first and they you know they use their uh, get out of jail free card by saying well yeah i can see you know um you know <clears throat> we're not we're not here to pass moral judgment as to your gambling habits until you want something from us. And if you want a mortgage from us, we'll look at your last yeah. Yeah. bank statements mm-hmm. and then say computer says no. They don't say, oh, we think you've got a gambling problem. Why don't yeah. you get to see somebody about it? Yeah. Which, yeah. which would be, you know, an appropriate way forward. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and that sort of, and, and that sort of issue. So, yeah. And that's a good point. Financial institutions, without doubt, we all know. Um, I'm sure we've all looked at our, over the years, looked at our bank statements to see all the gambling transactions. Um, yeah, so they, they've had access to our, uh, our data and that many, many, many times, we'll, we'll never know why, but, you know, why they haven't intervened. Uh, they, haven't, they haven't had the remit to intervene. It's no customer interaction. So, yeah, that's a massive issue with regarding the financial institutions and the banks in particular. I know that there is talk about... Um, Banks being being involved um, in the consultations. I think they were involved in some of the consultations. So whether on that comes to fruition uh, and the banks get involved in terms of our gambling and seeing those gambling trans- transactions and, and intervening, which is obviously intervention is probably the biggest thing. Whether it's whether it's the banks or whether it's the operators, you know, the intervention is absolutely huge. Yeah. Yeah, I, we, I've done some work in, in the last couple of years with. Um, uh, on the Magpie project with um, Bristol University, yeah, and um, you know, and we actually had a workshop where we had people from Barclays there, you know, and yeah. and, and you know, you look at 
the the banks that that we advocate, you know, at Monzo and um, Starling, and they've got, you know, they will give people specific accounts for people with gambling disorders, uh, you know, that have got the appropriate extra, if you like, barriers in place. Yeah. Don't get away. You can still find ways around that. Yeah. However, you know, if if there are people, other people involved have control to, of of your access to to money then you know that it's it's not going to be as horrifically um you know uh, devastating as if you're as if you're in a position where you've got total freedom to move around and yeah, you know, yeah. use the system <clears throat> yeah and i don't like i don't like this idea where banks puts the onus on the gambler uh, to put those you know switch on and off the controls etc so yeah. i think that's that's got to that's you know, I think the banks have to take some responsibility. And if you're spending £500 a night, then surely, you know, there, there's a flag there for you to intervene. So, yeah, I think going forward, intervention is going to be going to be massive on, on, on all sides. Yeah. Uh, is there anything else you want to talk about? Uh, touch upon anybody before we just touch upon some red cards and lots of stuff with Harry? No, I think, uh, I think we've, we've covered quite a bit in there today. So, no, it's been good. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Terry... Since the last time I saw you, we have we have moved on. We're developing nicely. Uh, your colleague Nicola, she's done a couple of bits with us. She's doing very well. Yeah. Uh, uh, and also, I hope I hope you're you're doing well as well in terms of your health wise. Hope everything's all good. Better anyway. Yeah, I've had me up. Brilliant, brilliant, nice one. Yeah. So we've moved on to a point now. This is this might interest you, Terry, in terms of you know we, we, you probably read the recent um, well recent November Public Health England report. Um, and stating that 15% of online gamblers are gambling in the workplace. Uh, and this is something we would, we would, as a team, we were thinking about the last six months. Uh, so we've now, we've now finished the process of, of developing a gambling awareness half-day training course uh, aimed at professionals, aimed at people in the workplace, managers, uh, line managers, supervisors, etc. So that will be launched in April. Uh, we'll probably have a big Zoom about it, which I'll invite you to. Um, yeah, because I think... Talking from my own experience, in terms of you know not not you know not in the football world, you know, but in in the what I call the real working working world, um, you know, I was working in Bombardier, um, different organisations where gambling was absolutely rife over the last 20, 25 years. Um, whether it's in the canteen, whether it's at break time, whether it's on computers, whatever it was, gambling's right, and that's only risen and that's proven by this public health report that gambling in the workplace is absolutely huge. So. I think it's important in terms of, you know, productivity uh, for companies. It's, it's important for individuals that are, you know, having other mental health issues through their gambling work, missing work, um, all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, we, we've created a CPD accredited, accredited half-day training course, which we're going to launch in April, uh, aimed at people in the workplace. So we're looking forward to that. Um, yeah, we've built built a, a stronger team now as well. We'll continue to develop the team in terms of lived experience. So, as I said, Harry's come on board recently um, and with his sports and football background that helps us sort of engage with more young people and um, we've got a very very busy next couple of months um february march and april quite a lot of workshops booked so yeah i think you know there's people out there that you know for one for want of a better expression just don't want to see see us succeed for whatever reason but we just continue to educate um you know as you know education is massive for us education awareness is the way forward uh, there's lots yet. Yeah, we know there's lots of treatment providers out there, but I think we want to get people before they get to the process of, of treatment. So we'll continue educating and um, raising awareness. And these podcasts uh, are a way of raising awareness. So, yeah. yeah, thank you all for coming. And Harry, if you want to finish off with um, anything you've got to say in terms of going forward, I know you're at Hamilton next week with Ben. Um, so, yeah, I'll just let you have the final, final words. Yeah, no, um, yeah, it's been brilliant to come on and talk again today. And yeah, we're looking forward to to the stuff that we've got going on. I'm looking forward to to getting in and doing some more deliveries and, and hopefully expanding and, and working working on some new projects. I think for me, something which will be close to, to my heart is working with young people involved in football and sport because it's something that, that I do yeah. 
all day long anyway. Um, so yeah, there's some of the things that we're looking to break into. But yeah, once again, thank you for you guys coming on and talking and, and thanks to everyone that, that watched um, or listened to this uh, video or podcast. Um, we're going to have another one coming next month um, and then we'll continue to go um, forward after that. So yeah, thank you very much for listening and uh, we'll call it, call it an end there. And thanks, sorry, I just finished off to say if you want to contact Redcard, um, we're at www.redcardgambling.org um, and all of us are available on there, contact detail on there. And if you want to book a workshop with Redcard, you'll find the details on the website too. But thanks for coming, Terry. Appreciate your input. Thanks, no to, everyone. Thank, yeah, thanks to everyone. Thanks, everyone.